0: Hey, it's Jay. This is Unthinkable. And technically, we're off this week. Uh, I'm sitting here in my apartment in Boston, among boxes and boxes of all my stuff, all packed away and ready for our big move to New York. But my uh, my producer Steve here thought it would be a good idea to do something for you today. Isn't that right, Steve? Yeah, Steve's not real. I'm alone. But, but on the internet, I'm far from alone because I have you and you have emailed me a bunch of comments and questions over the past few weeks, which, you know, mostly I've answered privately, but I wanted to take this opportunity in this off week to do something different and answer some of those questions and respond to some of those comments publicly. Because maybe you get some kind of value from those questions and answers as a listener, or maybe the sound of my voice each week has somehow become routine and cathartic and, and soothing for you. Shh, 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 shh. It'll, it'll all be okay. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> Alright, I really need to get out of this apartment. So, <clears throat> today we're doing a mailbag special episode. Real questions from real people or maybe very sophisticated artificial intelligence. All right, let's 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 dive in. Robert from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, hey, Robert, uh, he emailed this comment. He said, data fails us most when we forget what it represents, real people doing real things in the world. Over time, the charts lead us to think in terms of aggregates and groups, but groups of what? People. Instead of saying more people chose to buy things last month, we say revenue is up. Study that language. In one, the subject is money. In the other, the subject is human. And to that, I say, yeah. (laughs) I mean, part of the attempt of my show here is to put us back in control or make us realize that we are in control. You know, data is part of the car, but we are the drivers. And you know, we're always in control. We always do make the final decisions, but we don't always feel that way. And so when we have conversations at work, especially if we have a creative bent to what we do, it can feel like we're giving up our control, our ability to, to matter, to come up with great ideas, to do meaningful work. It can feel like we're throwing all that away because there's something else that somebody is holding up saying this, this is the answer. And so, you know, the, uh, on the biggest possible scale, if you look at the world that we live in, You know, we live in the information age, which is wonderful, but all that access to all that endless information and all that packaging of so much business information as gospel, it does have a dark side, which is this advice overload that we feel. You know, I've said it time and time again on the show, if we don't have an idea or an answer, we can find and follow everybody else's. And so back to Robert's point, data is profoundly useful and It also, I think, means a lot of stuff. We're going to get to that in a future question. But it does fail us when we forget what it does represent. So I think Robert's point is... Is spot on there. And you know if we can reframe it as a human context, then everybody in the room, not just people who dive into the analytics reports, not just the engineer, but uh, people like you and me that think creatively, or maybe you are an engineer. Maybe you do love data, but you want to do something huge, something insightful, something different instead of put on repeat what worked in the past. Whatever the case, whatever your relationship is to data is crucial, but it often is packaged in a way that removes what it really measures which is human activity. So, uh, you know, there's a there's a great marketing leader and uh, he's actually been on the show before talking about his Sherlock Holmes related side project, his podcast, and that's Scott Monty. Scott likes to talk about if you just understand people, everything else gets built on top of that. So, if you can clear the deck a little bit and move all the best practices and and you know, start with your understanding of how your customers work or how humans work, Everything else gets easier to understand. So Robert, thanks for that, that comment. I totally agree. Josh in Canada says that, uh, I found your podcast, thank you, because I'm working towards doing some business development for my current employer and I wanted to come up with some unique ideas to help build the business. Could you recommend any past episodes of yours that I might want to check out? Uh, and the answer is yes. I'm actually going to pull out my feed right here because you do this show for long enough. They all start to, they start to blend together. So, oh man. Why do I subscribe to so many podcasts? Okay, so I think a few of the um, the episodes that really jarred us as listeners, you know, because I listen back to these things too, and it really makes makes me think because the story is coming from someone else. And the the comments that I got were most emotional and passionate. Around these episodes, so if you go back in the feed, Josh or anybody, start with the, the episode "Voices." I think that's a tremendously good one. "Voices." Uh, the reason I want to point you to that one is we talked to the chief digital officer of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and we also talked to a jazz trombonist in New York. That that segment was produced by Andrew Littlefield down in New York. I'm actually moving down there, so I'll be able to join him in in his adventures. But uh, "Voices" was just this amazing story of what happens when you look for business development opportunities, marketing opportunities, sales opportunities that are very authentic to your team. You know, we always start by looking outward for some reason. I think it's that advice overload we feel. And we look for answers. How does one develop your business? How does one grow your company? It's not some theoretical answer in reality that you're seeking. It's how do you do it? right? So the best place to start is you, your, your person, your team, your situation, your customers. And that story really spoke to that and laid out, I think, a, a few good questions to ask to start doing that. So that's the, the first one I would say is start with voices. Um, the other is just ship it. It wasn't one of our most popular episodes, but it does dive into this idea of uh, paralysis. So when you're asking me, Josh, for, for what I would say, you know, you're kind of like avoiding starting. I'm not saying that's what exactly what you're doing, but but I get a lot of emails where it's like, do you have any suggestions for this? And the answer is usually just start, right? Like launch a test, you know? So I wouldn't actually start with theory. I would start with action. Um, there's another episode I'd pair with Just Ship It, which is much, much older. And that one's called Biased Act. It's another great example of somebody who just dives in and how they did it and why. So Just Ship It and Biased Act speak to complementary ideas, but the notion is, you know, if you are looking to do something successful for your business or for your career, you get kind of starry eyed over the bigness of what could be, but you need to take the first step. Like that's the most important thing you can do, right? It's like finding answers through action is always much better than finding answers than acting. That's what I would say to that. I like that one. Finding answers through action is always better than finding answers than acting. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense. All right. Hopefully that helps you, Josh. How are we doing so far, Steve? Steve? Nope, still alone. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Missy says I have been bouncing around the creative world ever since I realized it was a different realm of existence. I like that. From the more, how shall we put this? Button tie and pants, average suckland. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. One more time. The the button tie and pants, average suckland. Uh, And Missy goes on to say, I've had the honor, spelled with the O-U-R at the end, she must be in the UK, uh, she didn't give me a location, I've had the honor of working on theater stages, behind the scenes of productions, creating performances, coordinating student arts festivals, and now I have made my way into the world of content marketing. And boy, can I just share with you, I suffer from extreme imposter syndrome every darn day. It's so that's so well said, Missy. So uh, let me give you a story. Hopefully, makes you feel better. I have this colleague of mine that I had in a, a past job, and she's one of the smartest marketers I know. She's now a CMO at a different company, um, a startup that's starting to really take off, and. She and I have taken two very divergent paths, but we started in, in a relatively similar job, which was we were both marketing managers. And I always felt like I would look at her and be like, wow, you really know marketing. Like, you know all these terms and tactics that I just have no understanding of nor a desire to understand because I showed up because of the word content, you know, the content part of content marketing. Someone told me I could make stuff for a living and I showed up for work. So, but what I found is is because everybody is running at Certain tactics or the marketing half of content marketing, just by me clinging to what I love, knowing people, knowing story, being able to hold somebody's attention through the stuff I make, that's actually proven to be incredibly valuable. And I, le- I then learned the marketing part, the strategic part, um, and the distribution part, and all that stuff. And so it's kind of given me this superpower that I didn't have before as a pure creative, if you want to think of it that way. I like the word creator better. It's not a status. It's not a state of mind. Creative. It's an action. Creator. So as a creator, um, as a creator, I I now have the strategic side, the marketing side. And so when I talk to friends of mine now that I've met through the podcast, and they're book authors or full time speakers or um, you know maybe artists and actors, they don't necessarily understand anything but their craft, and that's the hard part. I mean that's where they should start. But now they have to pick up some of the more strategic stuff to make the business work. And it's hard for them. And so I feel kind of lucky and Missy, I think you'll find that too in a little while that if you just hold firm, you know, continue loving the arts, continue hating on suck land, be bothered by suck, have taste and carry that with you. But at the same time, be open to learning from the others around you, both the advice and the people. And then all of a sudden, if you have that bleeding heart that you hold dear and you you maintain and preserve and you've picked up some of these tactical, you know, maybe more commodity type things about marketing and and business, you'll be unstoppable. So I get it. Imposter syndrome is really easy to have. Um, but know that you have something valuable and something that if you can blend together with the world you're now in Missy, uh, Oh my gosh, you'll be a, you'll be an absolutely unstoppable creative force. All right. So, uh, next is Andrew from Florida where does data fit when you talk about intuition he says i liked your episodes called start with data and the one after that called don't start with data but now i'm not sure what to think i work in a field where analytics is everything um thanks andrew for that question so i'd say my stance is not don't use data i personally can't sit down and talk to you excitedly about analytics just not who i am uh and that's and and i've recently come to terms with that and i think i have a use To an organization, were I ever to go to, you know, back to working in house somewhere. But um, my stance on data is I actually want people to use more data and have a more effective use of data. Let me unpack that because maybe that's surprising to some people. More data. When you look at the word, distill it down to like its first principle, the the actual meaning or the, the use of the word data, it's not numbers right? Data is just like the information you have that you receive to make sense of something. So it's, yes, it's analytics reports, but it's also qualitative feedback you get from customers. It's trend reports and research from um industry groups it's your own intuition all the things that make you you all the experiences you've have you have all these inputs all this stuff it's it's data is ingredients right but you still have to cook the dish so what i want is more data in other words more ingredients to work with we should give credence to not just the fact that a a report or a chart says something but that um your customers tell you something or you have a hunch about something or you've you know you've tested something and learned in the moment which might be new that doesn't have all the data showing it going up into the right just yet but there's a little bit of an inkling in other words all these things inform you it's all data so i want people to use more sources of information and then once you have all these ingredients cooking the dish is the important thing so the idea of what you can cook matters a lot and that is an insight from data. That's the point of data. It's not to put a number on something. It's to pull out an insight that you can then act on. And the way you explain insights is by communicating to humans. So you use language. Um, the, another great thinker that I love, Andy Crestadina in the marketing world. Andy says that if you if you see a bunch of numbers, that's a data dump. If you see plain English or plain language, that's an, that's an insight or that's using data. So one of the episodes that Andrew here mentioned, uh, I forget if it was start with data or don't start with data. We did those back to back on purpose to, to kind of muddy the waters and make you think for yourself more but the uh, one of those two episodes that, that Andrew mentioned uses the story from Eric Siegel who is both a predictive analytics expert and also a rapper like yeah he's created some funny rap videos as a professor um, I think he works for the University of Colorado I can't imagine being a student of his and he has this hilarious rap video about predictive analytics definitely go back and check out those episodes but anyway so Eric Siegel was studying Um, people who miss their flights on airlines. And what he found was vegetarians miss fewer flights. Now, if you're just responding to data, if it's like this chart says this respond to this chart, then what you would do as that airline is you would target vegetarians or maybe offer more vegetarian meals. Vegetarians miss fewer flights. But Eric then deployed his intuition. He started asking why. He started asking questions, thinking for himself, because that's what intuition is. And where he arrived was like, look, it's not actually that they're vegetarians. It's that they've customized or personalized something about their flight. And when you do that, you have this sense of either being indebted to the airline or something that you are looking forward to. But regardless, you feel this need to make your flight. You've personalized it, therefore you're less likely to, li- to, to miss it. So if you want butts and seats, if you want full flights, if you're an airline, don't just target vegetarians, help people personalize their own experience. That's the actual insight. So, you know, I've worked in places where being data-driven just meant put a number on it. And, and Andrew, I got to tell you, it's got to be you use more data, but more effective use of data, more ingredients, pull from more sources and interpret data in a broader sense And focus on the insights you get from data. In other words, the insights you get from using your intuition, deploying your own brain against the data, asking questions, thinking for yourself. Um, So those episodes he mentioned are are really interesting. Start with data and don't start with data. And Andrew's comment was that he didn't know what to think. That's good. I'm not here to hand answers to you. I'm, I'm here to help us all figure out how we can ask the right questions and think for ourselves. Martin from Anaheim uh, mentions, you've, you've said on other podcasts, Jay, that you would provide your thinking process when creating a podcast. I'd love to get that as I'm working on creating a podcast concept and your stuff is pretty bleeping awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, A, thanks for the passion. I'm going to keep the show G-rated in case there's kids listening or something like that. My process for creating the show, boy, um, I'll give you the honest answer. Then I'll give you kind of the cleaned up answer. The honest answer, in, in its all all of its messiness, is, I deeply wanted to create a podcast, and so I just started. Like it was so messy and stressful, and I wasted a lot of time on the early episodes, and I burnt out. And I think about eleven or twelve episodes in, I took a step back, and I'm like, I have to now be strategic and put up some scaffolding. I basically put up a house that fell down on me because I hadn't like poured the concrete of the foundation nor supported my building with scaffolding before it was finished. So I went back to that. I was like, well, what's what's the foundation here? And what's the scaffolding? In other words, the, uh, the structure around what I'm building. And ever since then, it's been a lot easier. Um, the foundation is what am I trying to do for others? I'm trying to help people find and follow what makes them an exception because I'm serving people who want to do exceptional things. And I think what what makes you an exception is your intuition. So that's what I'm, what I'm studying is how do you actually trust your intuition and who has done that? Because I think that that often causes you to break from conventional thinking. So if you had to characterize who I'm for, it's people who, who believe there's something more in their work. Um, they're eager to change, eager to do better and better work, and maybe are overwhelmed by all this advice out there, all the best practices and gurus, or maybe dislike it. So that's the foundation. It's like, I know who I'm serving. I know who I am too. You know, I'm quirky and fun and, and kind of like a warm, fuzzy guy. And I like to tell stories. I like the big feelings. You know, I, I kind of roll up my self-awareness with my awareness of who I'm serving. And that's the foundation of the house. The scaffolding, it's a lot more nuanced, but I'd say there's some key parts to it. The first part is what's called an empathy statement. Write to the listener and help them self-select your show. You might never sh- like share this out in the world, but an empathy statement helps people um, hone their thinking of how they articulate what they're doing in service to others. So, So here's my empathy statement for the show. <clears throat> it has never been easier to be average. We live in the information age, which is a wonderful thing, but this reality has created a dark side, an overwhelming infinite supply of advice telling us how to succeed. More than ever before, we're drowning in gurus with hacks, influencers with secrets, and experts with best practices. So in an instant, billions of tips await us. All generalized advice for what we're supposed to do. So if we don't have an idea or an answer, we can find and follow everyone else's. But so can everyone else. So it has never been easier to be average. But you're the kind of person who strives to be exceptional. You're bothered by suck, you're driven by craft, and you're hell-bent on doing meaningful work for others and for yourself. Among all that average junk, you do exceptional work. In a world overrun with conventional thinking, you become the exception. You do what others could only call unthinkable. Okay, so that's my empathy statement, and the point of sharing it with you, the point of starting with that, is that now it's the filter through which I view the show. I'm vetting stories, and people, and positioning, and and everything through that empathy statement, and I can then use bits of that, or all of it, to help you, the listener, self-select. If you don't identify with that, my show is not for you. So, you know, in response here, I started with the empathy statement, um, and then I kind of took some time, and I filled out a little, like, Survey in my mind, like what's the personality and tone of voice that I'm going for? I kind of want to move effortlessly between fun and playful and thoughtful and introspective. I want to appreciate the big thoughts and trigger deep emotions without being cheesy. Um, I'd like to have an above average level of pep and sarcasm. And I want to be really adept at deconstructing big or complex stuff into simple basics in order to then build back up more original thinking with my listener. So I have a, a handle on who I'm for. I understand, you know, how to articulate that. That's the empathy statement. And then I kind of understand the tone of voice uh, to my target audience. That's like some self-awareness just written out. But basically, this is all conceptual stuff. I start with the concept, and then the medium doesn't matter. You know, I could have this podcast, but I could also start a video series. I could do a TV show. I could have a newsletter. I I do have a newsletter, uh, by the way. You should subscribe, (laughs) unthinkable.fm. But um, I can do anything in any medium, um, or I can use any medium, rather, because I started on the conceptual level of the value that I add and how I deliver that value void of medium. So there's so many pieces to this. But if I can distill all that meandering advice, uh, Martin, into one thing, it's who are you trying to serve, what problem are you trying to solve for them, and who are you? Then decide is it a podcast or not, right? Like for me, it's always about concept, then medium, But people start medium, then concept, and it tends to fall flat. And when you do that, medium, then concept, you look sideways at what others are doing in the medium, and then you copy. Martin, I don't want you to copy anybody. I want you to create something original. I want you to think for yourself. So start at the conceptual level, then decide if a podcast is for you. All right. Next up, we have Zandra from Somerville, Massachusetts, who asks, Hey, Jay, will you stop answering questions on this podcast so we can finish packing up our apartment and start our vacation slash move combo trip? (laughs) (laughs) Sandra's my wife. Uh, Yes, yes, I will stop doing all this podcasting stuff, except one more question. I got one more. Okay, just one more. This is Lisa from San Francisco. Lisa asks or says, I saw you speak at an event recently and you were awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I noticed the stories you told don't come from the usual companies that people like to cite in speeches. Where do you find your stories and how? That's a great question. So the short answer is my show. So my show is kind of like a research vehicle, but the longer answer is I read. I go outside the echo chamber. I don't spend a lot of time consuming industry news or industry related things. I have some of that, um, but I have like a, a Twitter feed, that I've made private, that only I can see, and I follow people there. I have uh, newsletters I subscribe to, um, people on Facebook and Instagram, and then what I do is I farm stories. I kind of save links into an app called Pocket, which lets me read and peruse those things offline. Very helpful when I'm flying, for example. Um, Google News is another good source. You can search trigger words like um, you know B two B, the first B two B, the only B two B, conventional thinking, and you find stories there. But In general, the answer is my show. That's where I come up with stories for my speech. Uh, And so episodes I do today inform ones that I do tomorrow. So it's this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like this episode landed us in this big area. Here's this big question from today's episode. Where can I get an answer to this question? I got to go find that. Um, So the episodes connect. But also all my episodes inform... Uh, my speech and provide both practice in telling those stories and the material for the speech, uh, as well as getting valuable feedback ahead of time from you, my listener, before I sort of graduate a story. To a talk, But, you know, let's say I'm speaking to a B2B crowd today. I can pull out a B2B example from the show and a service provider or B2C crowd or, you know, agency crowd or I've spoken to fire chiefs. I've spoken to HR professionals, you name it. Uh, I could pull stuff out of my show that, that fit that mold depending on who I'm speaking to. So that would be my answer. The show itself is a sort of public research arm of all my other work, including my speaking. Uh, and also, by the way, the unthinkable book. So that's right. I'm I'm writing a book. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know where. But lurking inside of me somewhere, uh, there's a book brewing, or maybe I just drank too much coffee on an empty stomach. But no, I think it's a book. It feels like a book. I think it. It feels a little more pleasant. It's a book. It's in my gut, bubbling. But it's definitely a book this time. I'm, I swear. Um, <laughs> all right. Last thing. I said. I, I said I'd do one more. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tack on an extra bonus question here. Jay from Somerville. And soon-to-be New York asks, Jay, what can we expect from the show later this summer, Jay? Well, great great question, Jay. And I'm, I might add this. You sound like a very smart, handsome, and charming person. And if you made a podcast, I'd totally give it five stars on iTunes. That's five stars on iTunes. <clears throat> so, uh, my answer to totally not me talking to myself, Jay... Um, <laughs> Here's what's happening with the show next. Number one, we're going to finish laying out all of our theories about intuition. And number two, we're going to explore something pretty damn awesome. So number one is laying out our theories about intuition. We started a few episodes back with the episode called Our Journey Begins. And in that episode, we set up a big problem. And in the next few, we laid out a solution and the questions that it creates. And that brings us to last week... Uh, in which we began actually trying to use our intuition. We defined it. It's the process of thinking for yourself. And now we want to make it practical. We want to grasp it in our hands like a tool and wield it proactively. So the next eight or so episodes are going to finish laying out all the thinking behind how we can use our intuition. And the theory is this. In a world overrun with answers and ideas from others, the way to trust your intuition, the way to think for yourself, is to ask the right questions. So we're going to lay out the questions that we think are the ones to ask to trust your intuition and find your own answers. And these are all based on the stories we've told previously on the show. Okay, so that's that's number one. All the things about intuition to lay the groundwork and get us all on the same page. Number two, later this summer, we're going to go exploring. We're going to, We're going to be collecting, and we have been collecting, all kinds of conventional thinking from all kinds of industries. And we're going to put that to the test. You know, why is it the convention? Should you really follow it? What happens if you don't? Has anybody tried? And, and what if we tried? So that's where you actually come in, and I can really use your help here. I want you to think about two different things. The best practices of your work, especially the ones that bug you, and the pithy statements that you've heard in your industry or elsewhere that are packaged like gospel best practices, especially ones that bug you, and pithy little quotes that seem like gospel. Email me those things at JJY at unthinkable.fm. So for example, you might be a content marketer, and the conventional wisdom is that you should definitely be using social media, or that you have to put a lead gen form over all your best content and gate it all. Uh, or maybe there's a pithy statement in your work as a tech startup founder. Maybe that's your line of work. Something could be a famous pithy quote like, Ideas are cheap, execution is everything. That's often attributed to the investor and now Shark Tank star, Chris Saka. So send me that kind of stuff from your world, best practices, gospel-like quotes, and conventional thinking to j at unthinkable.fm because later this year, we put it all to the test. In other words, we question it. We don't obsess over the answers from others. We look at those answers, and we ask ourselves the right questions instead. We, that's that's you and me, trust our intuition. But more on that next time. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I'll talk to you in a week. Bye-bye. How was that, Steve? Nope, still nobody.